section twenty of charles james fox by henry offley wakeman this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter ten the ministry of all the talents part one the unexpected resignation of pitt at the beginning of eighteen o one put an end to the idol of st anne's at once of course there was a ferment among the opposition and rumours of all sorts began to fly about gradually however the truth came out and every one began to feel disappointed fox at first could not understand it he thought there must be something behind some dark intrigue or as he expressed it a notorious juggle the substitution of addington for pitt could only be believed on the principle quia incredibile in reality it was only one of the king's party triumphs carried a little further than he or his minister intended pitt had begun at last to realize the necessity of peace but he had not yet schooled himself into the determination to propose it he had promised to the roman catholics of ireland complete freedom from religious disability in return for their support of the union but he had not yet nerved himself to the effort of obtaining the king's consent to introduce the measure when he did begin to lay siege to that fortress he found it well manned and armed at all points thanks to the diligent care of lords loughborough and auckland george the third had got firm hold in his narrow but singularly honest mind of the conviction that to grant catholic emancipation was contrary to his coronation oath and the ahithophel was not born who by argument or by guile could move him from that position pitt's pledges to the irish were too distinct and stubborn to be got rid of wholesale and so there was nothing for it but a resignation which was equally distasteful to the king and to the minister the fruits of victory however lay with the king he found in addington and eldon ministers after his own heart honest stupid and accommodating a slight return of his old complaint occasioned by the anxiety of changing his ministers redoubled his popularity and brought pitt to his knees he consented to withdraw the question of catholic emancipation during the king's lifetime and so george the third found himself in the hands of a minister whom he regarded with more perfect confidence than any minister since north and able if necessary to recall the most popular and trusted statesman in england to his counsels on his own terms whenever he chose to do so to fox the change was of little practical importance pitt supported addington looked upon him merely as a stopgap until such time as it might be convenient for him to resume the cares of office and the majority followed pitt it was thought worth while on the part of the opposition to muster their forces and challenge the new ministry on their formation but they were beaten by nearly three to one and though fox appeared at westminster on this occasion and craved in his speech the usual privilege given to a new member he did not yet consider the secession as over the first work of the new ministry was the negotiation of the peace with france that was a measure upon which there were not two opinions in the whole of england and while that was in progress all party warfare was hushed in the autumn the treaty was concluded and accepted by parliament and the nation with enthusiastic joy and so the curtain fell on the first act of the great war drama 
fox immediately determined to seize the opportunity to pay a visit to paris partly to collect materials for his history and partly to see for himself the victorious general who had as fox expressed it like most military men reformed the country by taking the power into his own hands on his return he found the ministers in a most anomalous condition one section of pitt's old majority led by the grenvilles had declared strongly against the peace and directed a furious onslaught upon addington on the terms of the treaty the whigs on the other hand were overjoyed by the peace and supported the government staunchly when that was in danger on all other matters of course they could have nothing in common with an administration formed on a purely reactionary basis pitt who still held the strings in his own hands and might have forced himself upon the king whenever he pleased withdrew altogether from parliament though it was understood that he gave a qualified support to the ministry a state of affairs like this clearly could not last long it was necessary for the whigs to keep a sharp eye upon what was going on and fox could no longer resist the importunities of his friends to put a formal end to the ill-advised secession on june twenty seventh eighteen o two in a letter to lauderdale he reluctantly gave it its coup de grace i have at last made up my mind to come in not convinced by reason but finding the wish among my friends so general i am sure i am wrong but i cannot go against the tide the crisis was indeed one which demanded that the country should have the benefit of the counsel of all true patriots she was on the verge of a war with the greatest military genius whom the world has ever seen while her affairs were directed by a crazy king and an incapable minister and the two ablest men in england were sulking in their respective tents bonaparte had never intended the peace of amiens to be anything else than a breathing space as he frankly confessed to m gallois a few months later his power in france was not sufficiently consolidated nor was his ambition sufficiently satisfied to permit him to allow such a splendid weapon as the army of france to rust in disuse he used the peace of amiens just as louis the fourteenth had used the peace of aix-la-chapelle and the peace of nijmegen simply as a period of quiet in which he could prepare for the next move in the game of ambition during the latter part of the year eighteen o two dispatch after dispatch each treading on the heels of its predecessor came pouring in upon the british government bringing news of fresh french aggressions in august bonaparte seized upon elba in october upon parma and piacenza a few weeks later he occupied switzerland he demanded from the english government the expulsion of the immigrants the banishment of the bourbon princes the suppression of newspapers hostile to himself finally in january eighteen o three he published a report of colonel sebastiani upon egypt the object of which was to show how easily it could be reconquered in fact by the time the campaigning season of eighteen o three had begun he had made all his preparations and was ready for action all that remained was to bring about a declaration of war upon a point which should put england technically in the wrong the feeble government under its pompous and stupid head 
did all it could to second his efforts without ever laying before europe a remonstrance against the obvious aggressions of france addington called out the militia in march eighteen o three and thus enabled bonaparte at the celebrated interview with lord whitworth which followed to represent england as showing a desire for war by refusing to restore malta to the knights of st john he allowed the quarrel nominally to arise out of an infraction of the treaty of amiens by the english government well might fox say addington by his folly has contrived to lay bare the injustice of our cause directly it became clear that the country was drifting again into war a determined effort was made to put the helm of state into more secure hands lord grenville who perhaps among english statesmen fully realized the character and genius of bonaparte was anxious to form a ministry on a broad bottom which should include both pitt and fox canning and the younger followers of pitt with whom were the bulk of the nation looked upon pitt as the only man capable of steering the country safely through the perils which encompassed her the wits turned their batteries upon addington and tried fairly to laugh him out of office never was minister more unmercifully ridiculed endless were the jests pointed at his father's profession the medici administration they called it the pills for himself and the pells for his son they sang when the valuable sinecure of the clerk of the pells was kept in the family as london is to paddington so is pitt to addington was the less good-humoured comparison of canning but the minister wrapped up in sublime self-conceit was impervious to argument or witticism he was quite acute enough to know that the royal favour was his and his alone and trusting to that he could afford to treat even pitt with some degree of independence when war became unavoidable he actually had the impertinence to think that he could make his own terms with pitt through the instrumentality of dundas now lord melville he proposed that lord chatham should become the nominal leader of a coalition between pitt and himself but stipulated as an essential condition for the exclusion of the grenvilles he was speedily undeceived pitt put a summary stop to the negotiation i really had not the curiosity to inquire what i was to be he said afterwards to a friend addington nothing disconcerted declared war on the sixteenth of may and to mark the occasion came down to parliament dressed in full windsor uniform unfortunately for his dignity the business before the house at that very moment was the medicine bill the house of course at once saw the joke and a roar of laughter greeted the martial appearance of the doctor which broke out again irrepressibly as sheridan in his best manner alluded to him as the right honourable gentleman who has appeared this evening in the character of a sheep in wolf's clothing the debate of the twenty third of may on the policy of the war showed the strange divisions of parties at the time pitt fox and grenville were all personally opposed to addington on the ground of his incapacity pitt nevertheless supported the minister in his war policy and made one of his most brilliant speeches in his favour grenville too was eager for war but far too virulent against addington to support his conduct of it fox though he thought war inevitable yet clung fondly to the hope 
that bonaparte was not really so ambitious and unscrupulous as he was thought to be and steadily maintained that if the negotiations had been better conducted peace might have been preserved in this however some of his followers notably gray seemed to have disagreed with him when once war had been declared all parties agreed that it must be carried on vigorously and lord grenville approached fox to see if they could not find a ground for common action if not for coalition in their common opposition to the minister after some negotiation which mainly passed through the hands of thomas grenville fox's old friend and agent in seventeen eighty two an agreement for common opposition was arrived at efforts were made to get pitt to join but he though reserving himself full liberty to question and criticise any measures of the ministers which seemed to him to be bad or wanting in vigour would not definitely range himself on the side of the opposition he saw clearly enough that he had the game in his own hands if he waited and did not want to be encumbered by ties which might prove inconvenient the event proved that he was right the relations between grenville and fox grew closer the opposition grew stronger and more consolidated as the months crept on when pitt chose to oppose the ministry their majority was doubtful when he supported it it was assured slowly however it dwindled away eventually by april eighteen o four it was reduced to thirty-six addington resigned and pitt resumed office with the acquiescence of the king and the support of the vast majority of the country wholly unfettered by any promises to grenville or to fox at last there seemed a chance that the nation as she was entering on the crisis of her fortunes in the death struggle with france might be able to gather to her assistance all the talent in her service the war of eighteen o three was a very different one from that of seventeen ninety three no one could pretend that it was a war against opinion or a war of sheer unmanly terror least of all a war to restore the ancien regime whatever had been the case in seventeen ninety three no one doubted now that the cause of bonaparte was the cause of absolutism and tyranny and the cause of england was the cause of liberty military despotism was no new danger to europe no new factor in english politics among the noblest of england's claim to the gratitude of europe was the remembrance of the part which she had played in breaking the european tyranny of louis the fourteenth but louis at any rate was the representative of a great tradition had a definite national policy and was in his own way a champion of civilization as well as of despotism the ambition of bonaparte on the contrary was personal not national his tyranny represented nothing but his own sword it rested purely and nakedly on force what enemy of the human race could be imagined more deadly than a military adventurer cruel faithless and unscrupulous gifted with extraordinary talents restrained by no law human or divine who looked upon human beings simply as the playthings of his ambition upon nations as ministers to his glory fox perhaps was the only statesman in england who was still inclined to hope who still believed that the ogre might be tamed by dexterous treatment 
but neither he nor any one else denied for a moment the absolute duty of england to spend her last man and her last shilling in the cause of the liberation of europe should bonaparte prove the tyrant which his enemies believed him to be once more the best hopes of england were doomed to be wrecked by the narrow-minded honesty of the king to george the third addington was still the best minister he had ever had fox was still the unprincipled roue who had taught his son to hate him george the third had enough stuart blood in his veins to learn nothing and to forget nothing directly pitt proposed to him a coalition ministry a ministry in fact of the national defence wholly apart from a party which was to include fox grenville fitzwilliam gray and canning the king resolutely refused to agree to fox on hearing this fox with characteristic good temper at once asked not to have his own claims pressed but insisted on the inclusion of some of his followers if it was in any sense to be a coalition ministry his followers with equally characteristic loyalty refused to serve if their chief was not to lead them and the grenvilles true to their policy of cooperation with the whigs refused to join unless the whigs came in too the result was that the king was victorious all along the line never in any conversation that i have had with him has he so baffled me said pitt the old ministry of incapables was reconstituted but with the addition of pitt and dundas the old policy of organizing coalitions against france with english gold was taken up and sisyphus began once more to roll the stone up the hill all that zeal could do was done the record of pitt's second ministry is a noble story of energy and vigour unsuccessful though it was the threat of invasion roused the patriotism of every englishman and defences not formidable in themselves but useful in quieting apprehension sprung up on the coast of kent lord melville worked so hard at the reorganization of the fleet that it is said he added no less than one hundred and sixty-six vessels to the navy in a year the principle of the conscription for national defence was introduced by the additional forces bill abroad the murder of the duc d'enguillon the assumption of the title of emperor by napoleon his virtual annexation of italy holland and switzerland were powerful arguments in pitt's favour and by april eighteen o five he had the satisfaction of seeing austria and prussia again allied against the tyrant in august eighteen o five the superiority of nelson and calder over villeneuve at sea effectually relieved england of any fear of invasion the victory of trafalgar in october annihilated the french navy for the rest of the war but in all other respects the story is one of continued disaster pitt's own health was breaking down under the strain he spoke at times with his old fire but the effort became visibly greater the attack upon lord melville for malversation carried in the house of commons by the speaker's casting vote simply broke his heart the news of the capitulation of ulm and the total failure of the coalition at austerlitz brought him to his grave on january twenty third eighteen o six he died murmuring it is said with his last breath a prayer for his country the death of pitt left literally no one in england to take his place except fox and grenville pitt and melville had been the only able men in the cabinet 
addington had been tried and found wanting and it was impossible even for the king to explore the depths of the kingdom of dullness which stretched below the feet of addington he fully understood the state of affairs sent for lord grenville and entrusted the government to him grenville at once replied that the first person he should consult would be fox i understood it to be so said the king and i meant it to be so not two years before george the third had taken care to let it be known that fox had been excluded from the ministry by the king's personal action but a few months previous he had written that he would run the risk of civil war rather than admit fox no one knew better than george the third when opposition was hopeless he struggled to the very end but always gave way when it was absolutely necessary and so it was in this case after an interval of twenty-three years fox again kissed his hands on his appointment as foreign secretary and in no period of his life in which he had been minister did he find the king more cordial and accommodating End of section twenty